1: Welcome to DNF, the lights are out, and we are here to recap the week that was and the week that will be in F1, your Formula One podcast of choice. Thank you for listening. I am Spencer Hall. Joining me as always is Jessica Smetana. Jessica, I have one question for you and one only. Tell me. Who is in third place this morning following
2: the Saudi Arabian
1: Grand Prix at Jeddah? That's the hardest question
2: you could have asked me. Look, I think it's Fernando Alonso, but it could change. Let's give it some time.
1: I mean, I would say this. If you've already posted the mocking tweet, mocking somebody else's gracious tweet, it's over. So by Twitter, (laughs) I don't know if anyone else saw this. Uh, Did you see this thing? Fernando Alonso. Did you hear this? You see about this? You hear this? Uh, Fernando Alonso, once George Russell said, Hey, too bad for Fernando. Sorry, but we're happy to take a third. And when the ruling uh, was overturned and Fernando was once again re awarded third place, he posted this extremely up close picture of him, like looming toward the camera. That was the sole (laughs) response.
2: So he got penalized for being, what, like a foot to the left of the. Of the grid box that he was supposed to be parked in to start the race? Yes.
1: That's how this all started. And then it got worse.
2: So he did his five-second penalty during the safety car. Mm -hmm. And the ruling was that since there was a jack touching his car, it constituted as they were working on his car, which you're not allowed to do. So after the race, Spencer, actually, I want to do this differently today because I found a minute-by-minute breakdown on the Sky Sports website mm-hmm. of the, t- the timeline of this whole debacle, which was one of probably the few interesting things that came out of this race, I hate sure. to say. There was some Charles Leclerc drama. There was some uh, Max and, and Checo drama, and we'll get to all of that. But this third place saga was peak Formula One, peak not knowing or enforcing the rules uh, in, an, in a way that people could follow. So let's go through this timeline. So... 5 p.m. Alonso, uh, the race starts. Whatever. 5:06, he's given the five-second penalty. 5:33, he serves the penalty. 6:22, during the final lap, stewards receive a report stating the penalty was not properly served. 6:25, uh-huh. so three minutes later, Alonso crosses the line in third. 6:38, Alonso receives a trophy on the podium. You'd think, okay. He's crossed the line. He's received the trophy. The race is over. We know who our winner is. He's been sprayed with champagne. This is pretty much a no, no take backsies situation. No. 644. The FIA confirm a 10 second penalty, which makes he him now in fourth place. So they're adding the 10 second time penalty to the end of the race. So now he's behind George Russell. 7:25 Russell takes part in a top 3 press conference. So George Russell goes into the press conference and adds, answers questions as the third place finisher of the race. 9:28 Alonso posts a, a tweet indicating he has been reinstated to third. 9:37 The FIA publishes an official reason for the 10-second penalty. 9:51 p.m. This is this is at nighttime. FIA confirms Aston Martin has appealed. 10.03, FIA confirms 10-second penalty overturned. So between the 6.38 trophy ceremony on the podium and 10.03 p.m., almost four hours later, he is now once again in third place. And I think George Russell had to give him the trophy back because I think George Russell then got the trophy. This was not in the Sky Sports timeline. Um, But there you have it. He is in third place as of 10.03 last night.
1: What does it take to make third place in F1? Well, you have to win the race and, you know, finish in third by win, because at this point, Red Bull, what they're doing doesn't qualify as winning. That's just their placing, right? This is, that's where they're supposed to be at this point. I don't know if you saw after Verstappen finished, uh, (laughs) on the podium, no less, right from 15th, Mm -hmm. where he had to start watching how he passed cars. I know, there are people in the ears of the other drivers saying, eh, here comes Verstappen, you just let him go. Let him go, you're not going to catch him, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Still,
1: it's not like they're going 40 miles an hour when they do this. They don't put on the hazards and pull over. No, right. they're still at race speed. And Verstappen is passing them like they're standing still. So the, yes. Red, Bulls, the, the Red Bulls are where they're supposed to be.
2: You're not wrong. However, it doesn't seem like any other driver wants to put up a fight, and it doesn't seem like it's worthwhile for them to wear down their tires trying to prevent him from passing, especially on the straight line. The straight line speed when Verstappen has DRS, I don't think there's much of a fight you could even put up. Yeah. Um, the, it seems like cheating. It is so much faster, especially with DRS. Like, what are we going to do to restore competitive balance, so to speak?
1: Uh, Nothing this year nothing that like that's it nothing this year whatsoever definitely Um, not you you need at this point to restore competitive balance which is a curious term when you talk about f1 because historically competitive balance in f1 has been like any non like any all right they do have a a spending cap but like it looks if you want competitive balance you have to do some really outsized crazy things to make competitive balance and they're doing that with a spending cap right however when you have one of the main competitors miss on a car for, at this point, two years. We're in year two of the Mercedes monopod debacle, right? Minus mm-hmm. side pods. When you do that kind of thing, it's going to take a while to show up. This year is a wash. You're just going to have to go ahead and do what the rest of us are doing and try to find a whole lot of entertainment and chaos in the middle. Which, fortunately, we have. Which is why I want to get to another topic, which is Ferrari.
2: Mm. Let's talk about our our good pal Charles. <laughs> Let's talk about
1: Char- Charles. Every day I want to die LeClaire. <laughs>
2: <laughs> That's just called being French.
1: That's just <laughs> Monégasque
2: yeah. play. They've got a little um, like, existential thing just baked in there.
1: Oh god. What is what is what is uh, what what even This is I, I want to go straight to a reader comment and question from CJ um it says that Ferrari appears more competent but less competitive i could not mm. have put it better myself this seems to be the exact move that they make solid moves they have good pit uh you know strategies they make good stops they appear to have their ducks in a row but they are less competitive than they were last year how
2: That's that's a good question. I think there's trade-offs when you do anything to your car, right? If you give up a little bit of speed, maybe it's in service of reliability. Although he took a 10-place grid penalty because of already running out of uh, engine parts, essentially, two races into the season. So that's up for debate. Um, There was also, I, I think, the, I don't know if necessarily... More competent is accurate given the radio message that we heard during this race where (laughs) he uh, was very upset. I'll read the message. So this was with his engineer, uh, Zavi. Try to push from safety car line one for Lewis Hamilton. He just pitted. And Leclerc said, Zavi, you need to tell me that before. And he said, copy. And he said, no, but come on. Like he was not happy that he wasn't being informed of the strategy decision in the middle of the race and so I don't know maybe maybe it's not fair to say that that's incompetent but it's at least frustrating for the driver
1: I think it's it's doubly frustrating for them at this point because this was supposed to be a better matchup for Ferrari v. Red Bull specifically because of the track this was going to be right. something that favored Ferrari's existing build and at no point were they seriously competitive in this race. That's just that, that's got to be infuriating. You know who was more competitive? Somehow the team that we dogged coming into this as being a complete wash, myself included, saying, "Yeah, just, you know, wrap it up, take it to next year, go ahead. Who cares about a constructors' cup?" Uh, you know who cares about a constructors' cup? Mercedes. Yeah. The the constructors' championship still means and a placement there means something to them because Mercedes um after much moaning and bemoaning of their uh the entire way of doing things managed to finish fourth, fifth, which.
2: Well, third, third, fifth, if you think about it, you know, during 630 to 10 o'clock p.m. on Sunday night. <laughs>
1: they were they were a hot aggregate fourth for a minute. Yep. Somewhere in there.
2: Yeah. Well, going into this race. So there's been so much happening like off the track with Mercedes and the weird PR messaging that they're putting out there, which is like essentially no PR messaging. Like there's no media strategist who's like, hey guys, this is the company line this year. This is how we're going to keep fans engaged, keep people hopeful that we're competitive. Like any of the things that you do if you are a team that knows, you know, before week three, you're not you're probably not gonna win the Super Bowl, but you wanna still sell a lot of marching tickets throughout the season, right? Yeah. Um so Toto has already said that the concept of the W fourteen car is is wrong and bad and it's complete he's completely repudiated it. Lewis Hamilton has said that the engineers didn't listen to him when they were making adjustments to the car last season. And that, you know, has riled up a lot of his fans that are like, well, why wouldn't you listen to Lewis Hamilton? He obviously can give better feedback than probably any any driver on the planet. And then you have George Russell, who's in interview saying like, oh, what does it matter? Max is going to win every race this season anyways, which is also probably true, but probably too honest to say after one race of the season. So then of course, Mercedes comes into this race and they are the second fastest car. I think Aston Martin, you could argue is probably up there, although they had a DNF this weekend with Lance Stroll. So they're having, you know, some issues there, but, um, they're, they're very fast. Nothing is as fast as the Red Bull, but the doom and gloom, and then finishing 3rd and 5th or 4th and 5th, whatever you whatever you want to go with mm-hmm. is kind of that's kind of what Mercedes did last year too, right? I mean, they had real issues last year, but then they finished on podium in the first race of the season. So, it's kind of tough to figure out what is actually going on behind the scenes there.
1: Yeah, I know. In your second race, you're not really sure whether this is them at their ceiling or whether this is them building. Right. Yeah, because like are you doing the best you can in race 2 to place 4th and 5th against cars that obviously Are much faster and handle better, or um, is it all downhill from here? That would be that's. It's very hard to know whether to be optimistic or pessimistic, or just to accept. Okay, this is where you're at. I think they're already building. Uh, I'm captain short attention span theater. I am already like, okay, it's on to 2024. You know what? Whatever they look like. Yeah.
2: Well, I think like that's that's something that a lot of the teams that see the Red Bull they're like all right are we going to are we going to invest in a lot of changes to this year's car or are we just going to say like we need a new concept for next year it doesn't matter we're not going to be competitive no matter what this season and i think a lot of fans probably and like the tv networks are like shit like <laughs> that's probably not going to bode well for the competitive balance of the rest of these remaining 22 races or 21 races, if if all the other teams are kind of throwing in the towel because they know there's such a humongous gap between them and the Red Bulls. But I mean, I would argue there's there's still things to watch and to look for and to be excited about. I think Spencer, you probably would too. I mean, what else? What else is there to be excited about other than a uh, infighting war between the one and two drivers at Red Bull? And, and wouldn't that be a fun little wrinkle to this runaway Red Bull season that most people are already predicting.
1: That's really, I think that's optimism. Like looking for, a, <laughs> I think that's optimism. That's looking for, you know, a crack, a crack in the coffin that you can claw your way out of for the rest of the season. Like, Ooh, maybe they'll fight, but you're right. So what if Red Bull fights, if those two dudes fight, they're still going to finish one 2 You know, they might take each other out for a race. They might take each say they take each other out for two races. It won't matter. It won't matter. They're still going to be the two fastest cars on the grid, hands down. Yeah. You know, and and, the, and arguably the two best drivers at this point. Like they're both at top form at peak performance. It is insane to watch what they are capable of. I had a little like my brain will always try to look for, and I don't know if you do this when you're faced with overwhelming odds, your your brain will always look for an if. You'll go, mm-hmm. ooh. Well, I don't know. This is an interesting matchup because Fernando Alonso is, you know, he's a very aggressive driver and he's definitely always looking for the overtake. And if he's behind Perez, who's like primarily like a brilliant defensive driver, maybe it'll work. I mean, maybe, but he never caught him. He never caught him. And if you listen to Alonso, they know Alonso was thrilled. He's like, yeah, the car's handling handling beautifully. He's in third. He's happy cruising in third. That's wild to me. But he knows that he's not going to be able to catch him. I have a story that I want to go way, way down on the standings to get to. Okay? Ooh. Because there are a number of things to talk about. That's um, exciting. And, and, and listen, if you wanted a little if you wanted a little free donut, just you know, a little lanyap in this race that was fun. Kevin Magnuson and Yuki Sonoda had a multi-lap duel to nab the last point, uh, which ultimately Kevin Magnuson won, but not before complimenting Yuki Tsunoda on running a brilliant defensive effort for many, 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 many laps until Magnuson was able to overtake him. Like, Magnuson was like, that was not easy. That was very, very <laughs> difficult, and Yuki made it very, very hard. Uh, but eventually, yes, Haas gang stand up, you get points. That's all interesting. And there's a lot of chaff in between, uh, including one Logan sergeant. We are, as Americans, uh, honor-bound to say that uh, <laughs> as one of the American drivers on the circuit, uh, he finished 16th after struggling and qualifying so honestly finishing the race and and being 16th you're on track son that's about where you want to be i'm more interested in the driver who finished one spot ahead of him that would be the other American on the track Oscar Piastri he's Australian we have established (laughs) as canon on DNF that all all Australians are overlap American you're at least Mm -hmm. American compatible right
2: we know he's gonna put on a cowboy hat in Austin and take up the Danny Rick mantle yeah
1: it's a matter of time like Oscar Piastri looks at an RBs the same way that you do Right, like he sees it as a great shining example of civilization and its finest. curly fries. Right. Curly, yeah, he's just thinking about curly fries and horsey sauce because all Australians are by overlap Americans as well. So the American driver, Oscar Piastri, can't wait till somebody goes he's not American. Um <laughs> Oscar Piastri is the number two driver at a struggling McLaren team. And at one point in this race, Oscar Piastri, the number two driver was allowed to pass his number one driver lando norris (gasps) Mm -hmm. yeah in order to attack logan sargent gain that spot and move up to his final finish of 15th first of all congratulations to oscar piastri on moving up on beating his fellow rookie that's big man that's big seriously like that's that's a big deal what i want to address more specifically is the situation with mclaren which went from being dismal already to being on the face of things, technically, and is now way worse in terms of chemistry, because that can't sit well with Lando and Norris.
2: No, I th- and I think like if at the very least their car was, they were like battling for seventh and eighth, it would be more palatable to at least have some sort of like compet like competition between the two of them. But the fact that they're like. Battling for 16th, it's really tough. I think for Lando Norris mentally because he was he is such a good driver and was so hyped going into Formula One. And you you would think that like okay, he hasn't won a race yet. He's been on the podium, but like this has this has to be the year, right? Like he's mm-hmm. he's been in it now for years. Like he's they've got to give him a good car at some point. And no, it's like all of his early 20s, he has been on this team with a substandard car and now he has to battle his younger teammate to not, not even for points, like just to finish one spot higher in the back of the field. Um, and I've, I have read that the McLaren car will probably improve throughout the season because they're aware of the mistake that they made and, and caught it at a point in which they were able to like, reverse some of the damage, but they weren't able to do it in time for the beginning of the season. So that's why they have been like so much uh, worse than last year where they were battling for fourth and now they're battling like at the back of the grid. Um, so there's hope that their car will get better. It just hasn't yet. And now you're going to have questions about who your number one or number two driver is once that hopefully does happen. And it, I'm, I'm certain it doesn't sit well for Lando Norris, who is... The senior driver despite being like you know 24 years old yes
1: the senior 24 year old driver <laughs> who like oscar piastri is going to have to fight an arrow package that you know we talk about this in f1 a lot sometimes the engineers just miss man and with all of yeah. the money thrown in and all of the gambles that you take in terms of design and now with the the spending cap being a reality if you miss on something you don't really have an opportunity to fix it wholesale you can mitigate it you can work with it you're not really going to have a chance until the off season to really correct the big errors that you make in terms of design and the driver's just gonna have to deal with it and at 24 that's got to be super frustrating for lando norris because this is his prime right this is this is when you want to start like really establishing yourself as a competitive driver and they've saddled him with this like he and lewis are kind of on parallel storylines at very different points on the same story which is my team my team has messed up the car and i have you know something at stake how do i deal with that um, it's very hard to feel bad for somebody who's living the life of an f1 driver i will just say i feel <laughs> or, or you know sympathy or empathy aren't really in play how's this i just feel for him a little i feel for him the responsible amount as an ath- as
2: an athlete i think it's fair to feel yeah. like uh, you know frustration or whatever like feeling the the feeling of being passed over for someone younger with you know potentially higher upside than you I think would be something that would be terrifying as a young mm-hmm. athlete especially when you like Oscar Piastri is, all, is also someone I mean we all saw what happened last year with him and whether or not he'd be at Alpine or McLaren like he was fought over by multiple teams and in the in the international courts because of how uh you know the upside that he would provide to a team. So, yeah, I think it would be a really frustrating situation to be in to be so young and to have to worry and, like, look over your shoulder or another even younger person who, you know, is going to be – racing for the same thing you're racing for. And there's like, there's nothing that says that Lando Norris has to be the number one guy, right? Like this is how formula one works. You're, you're hot or you're not. And there's team orders and you either follow them or you don't. I do feel the frustration from that entire team, especially because they're, you know, a British team, they have a ton of fans and everyone is wondering what the hell is going on over there this you're supposed to be good guys you have two really good drivers what the hell but it's not working out right now
1: yeah i think everyone is still getting used to and this is like not just a mclaren issue but if you go everybody's coping with new regs right like we've changed the height on the cars we've changed the way that which changes the way that the aerodynamics work and there's a lot of very smart people who will still struggle with this and the one team that was tuned in to start uh unsurprisingly, has continued to dominate. So we can talk about drivers. You know, like everyone on the grid is honestly an incredible driver. The teams behind them, the teams behind them more than not influence what, like the driver is a marginal difference. We talk about like sports-wise, if you have a driver, that's the like 10%, 5% margin that's going to make all of the difference. The reason that we can laugh at, you know, the struggles of McLaren. Laugh gently, by the way. We laugh gently because... (laughs) I love that shade of orange. I, I love the too. McLaren team. I like Zach Brown. I like both drivers. It's cool, but the reason that you can gently laugh at them is because somewhere on the drawing board, somewhere in a computerized diagram, someone made a decision and it has not gone well. So everyone's struggling. Do are we ready to take questions? Are we ready to take some questions? I think before? we're I
2: think we're ready to take some questions. Let's yeah. Let's start with. Well, what do you want to start with? I want to start. You have one with, on the mind.
1: I took okay. This is what made me think of it. Um, it's from uh, John Lawson32 on Twitter. Does Gene Haas violating international mm. sanctions mean his team is finally a true Formula One team? Yes.
2: Spencer, That's... tell us the story because this was a PBS uh, investigation that came out last year. What is Haas doing? Why is it a big deal?
1: So there are a number of sanctions uh, against Russia at this point because, uh, you know, you invade one of your neighbors, you're gonna get some international sanctions. Um, One of those sanctions has to do with machinery that could potentially be used in uh, the production of, you know, weaponry, et cetera. Um, Haas automation, which is part of the Haas economic constellation, uh, they uh, might've been flouting export controls per PBS uh that some of the precision machine tooling used in the Russian arms industry uh were manufactured at the Haas facility in Oxnard California if Mm -hmm. I lost you anywhere in there I'm just going to translate it for you Haas make machine for Russian gun that's that's Mm -hmm. that's really what this equals so it wouldn't really be an F1 season if we didn't have some sort of tangled international scandal involving a number of uh treaties sanctions international agreements and flouting of said international agreements so uh yeah haas there you go you're 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 now officially an f1 team now that you've had a scandal transcending motorsport
2: do we think this will be in season six of drive to survive
1: hell no no (laughs) they will not touch this with a 10-foot pole we'll just see we'll just see gunther going it has been a very tough week (laughs) <laughs> oh, no. File not found.
2: Better call Jean.
1: Better called Jean. Jean, we look like fucking war criminals. Yeah, it's it's not good. Like to be clear, this is not good. It no, really, I, really not I think good. when
2: it comes to sports teams breaking laws, generally you see like fraud, bribery, embezzlement, those types of things. Um, this one is definitely not one that you see every day, and it is very bad. So, that is going on right now. And uh, if you want to see more or read more about it, uh, it was the investigation was on PBS. Is that right, Spencer?
1: It's a news, yeah, it's a PBS NewsHour investigation by Simon, Simon Ostrovsky, who did a superb job tracing all of the labyrinth and details tying to Russian arms manufacturer. This sport is different, and we've just given you a really, really dark reason as to why the financing and architecture of the sport is unlike any other. Do you got a question you want to answer?
2: Um, yeah. Let's let's ask another question about a, a governing body that has a lot of weird things going on with it. This is from C. Salicito, what the F is up with FIA and their rulings. This has (laughs) happened before. This happens a a couple times a season, right? Like we find Uh out after a race, someone did something like this happened with Carlos Sainz last year. I want to say after, uh, I forget which race it was. He ended up on the podium and he found out while he was like eating dinner with his cousin and was like, Oh, I guess I finished in third place. And it's a bummer always because they do the celebrations right after the race. So if there is any sort of overturning of the top three finishers, like it's like, I feel like once you get the champagne soaked into your racing suit, you probably should just be able to keep the trophy and move on. But yeah, it does, it does seem like, you know, when there are things that the FIA, the governing body of Formula One notices that go wrong during a race, there should be a mechanism by which to enforce it before we do the like big celebration and the national anthems and the whole thing after the race. But with, with this situation, you know, they, they didn't realize that he had broken the rule or didn't, say that he had broken the rule until after that and then there was an appeal. So then, you know, I guess I understand why an appeals process would happen after a race, but that's not even what happened in this case. Like they they didn't even say like Alonso had the 10 second penalty until after the podium celebration. It just it feels like there's got to be a way to know this stuff happens sooner. And then I get the appeal being later on, but it's it's wild to me.
1: FIA always has to justify its existence. Right, like that's it. Yeah, there's, there's a long uh list of important sports bureaucracies that always have to justify their own existence by uh, creating arcane NCAA. Rules. <laughs> you know? there's,
0: uh,
1: it is. This is March. Yes, the NCAA, is March. which is which is in reality a basketball tournament masquerading itself as the regulatory agency overseeing amateur athletics college athletics in the united states they're really just they're really just like a brokerage that sells men's
2: basketball tournament we should specify because when it comes to the women's tournament they can work out with a dumbbell in a conference room yeah and we won't care until someone posts it on tiktok and then we look bad
1: yeah and then the response isn't wow we really should regard women's sports with the same respect no the response is get them to elliptical machines yeah,
2: <laughs> <That's> <laughs> don't let this happen again. I mean, take away their phones so they can't post it on TikTok. I'm just kidding. They didn't I, do that. But I hate it yes. when you.
1: I hate it when they, you publish po- photos of things as they are in the real world as they actually <laughs> exist. Um, no, there's they are. If you want to know like what the, one of the king daddies of the uh, we swear we're important sports bureaucracy, you know, it's FIFA and it's it's FIA in that order. And FIA is like all of these sports bureaucracies making it up they're just making it up as they go they want their cut and if they have a rule if it's embarrassing they'll overturn the rule just because it's embarrassing not because it happened and being I I think there is if I could put an angle on it there's a little bit of super super French logic behind this FIA headquartered in Paris historically a very French (laughs) influenced thing this is very Cartesian they're like well the Jack was touching the car and if the Jack is touching the car then by definition it is being worked on, so we must call this because it is—it is a rule and it must exist. It is also super French for everyone to get real mad and for them to go, just, just forget it, just fine, fine. Give Fernando Alonso third. <laughs> this is—I am far too exhausted with this debate. Have your way. There's a
2: there's a joke in here where like FIFA is one. F up away from being the FIA or, or something like or FIA because there's like a spelled the same. There, well, I'm going to work so on close. this. well we're, we're also I I think I mentioned this during our last episode. Like there was a lot of weird off season stuff with Formula One and the mm-hmm. FIA and them not necessarily seeing eye to eye on things. So when something like this happens, um you kind of wonder if there's more at play here. If there's a sort of like assertion of who really runs the sport and, and like what the, like you said, you know, proving the value of the existence of, of the governing body and, and why, you know, they're, they're needed for making sure the rules are followed and fair and all these things that if we didn't have, you know, formula one couldn't do it. So anyways, we'll probably talk more about that at some point. Cause there was like a whole, a whole like reshuffling of the deck over the off season and jewelry rules and the sporting code and all of the stuff with like the, you know, fia doesn't want uh drivers to make political statements at races and then formula one was like we're not gonna do that like you know we can't tell them not to do that so a lot at play here with these with these two groups of guys
1: it, yeah just to give you an idea of like where fia stands in this fia which is ostensibly you know your racing rules and oversight organization their head Mohammed bin Sulayem, came out and said that a 20 billion dollar valuation of f1 was inflated and then any possible buyer would need to apply common sense consider the greater good of the sport and come with a clear sustainable plan not just a lot of money but uh, okay dude
2: yeah okay so like imagine the ncaa being like oh five million dollars for the women's ncaa tournament that's not enough or or that's that's too much they're not worth that much oh wait (laughs) they did that and then they sold all the rights to all the
1: yeah, we, care, we, care, we care a lot about the integrity of the sport and we're here for racing. However, while well, we're talking about the right price, <laughs> let's talk about where that right price really like, it it's is.
2: Very, it's very silly to say that something that makes you a lot of money isn't worth a lot of money.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like also in terms of, of valuation, right? $20 billion just to still put this like, oh, you know, yes, F1 has a lot of money, a, a tremendous amount of money. Twenty billion for the whole sport when an NFL franchise has an average valuation of somewhere around three billion dollars, minimum, right? Should give you an mm-hmm. idea. There's thirty-two of those,
2: right? And is it, isn't Isn't Dan Snyder trying to sell the Washington football team for like seven billion dollars? And that's just one NFL team.
1: Yeah, yeah, and chances one are, brand. Yeah, yeah, chances are, and he's not going to land too far away from that price when this is all said and done, right? He's yeah. going to land close enough that it'll be you'll go yeah that's we're now we're starting to talk about real money um I do have a question that that mm. I want to take which is this on a scale of one through 10 how mad is Checo at max for defying team orders and taking his fastest lap on that last lap I have news for you uh, uh, neither of them think they're teammates
2: <laughs> this is, this is, this. Okay, you saw the video of Max Verstappen's father not like giving a congratu- uh-huh. congratulatory pat on the back to Checo after the race. Yeah. I mean, they don't I don't I mean that video was all over Twitter after the race if you want to see it. He's basically just standing there like with all the Red Bull, you know, engineers and stuff s- celebrating, just kind of blank faced not not entering the celebration. And like he has no Obligation to, you know, like he he doesn't have to, but it was very indicative, I think, of the way that they don't necessarily see it as a team. Like you said, like this is a mechanism by which Max Verstappen can win a a championship, not by which they can boost up the rest of the Red Bull garage and their other driver.
1: That's the reality of any F1 team, I think, to an extent, that you're going to, as teammates, you're really just Two dudes both employed who will sometimes be called to act in concert when the strategy (laughs) works. What is your strategy when you are always the number one and number two? The strategy when you are always the number one and the number two realistically is going to be Max wins. That's it. Because Max is the number one driver, clearly. Max is the dude who's coming off of two drivers championships. Max is the guy who's going to remain there. Um, I, I enjoy the drama between them. Because I'm petty and I like watching celebrities in my sports fight a little, but at the same time, this isn't real. This is the way it's always been, you know. Also, Max Verstappen's dad. We don't need to really pay attention to him. Like it's <laughs> like I think if you I think if you ask Max Max Verstappen whether we should pay attention to anything Joss does, no, no.
2: Just the lengthy w- lengthy wiki page. All, All right, yeah. we need L- to go, we need- go look it up. <laughs> we need to move on to the. Uh, award that is given every week on DNF. This week, the award for best lad. I I truly don't know who it's going to be, Spencer. So please, play us in the music. Tell us who wins this week's best lad award.
1: Mm, let's see. 25. Oh, that's, you know
2: what,
1: that's, oh, oh that's, yeah. that's I'm so sorry. That's. What was that? That was the Saudi band <laughs>
2: playing the anthem. You know what we never talked about during our, our Drive to Survive <laughs> recap? They included the Hungarian dancers that we talked about last season in yeah. the Netflix show. I don't know if you've seen that yet, but it was a sight to behold.
1: Yeah. Um, if we could match that up and just get a, a, a good mashup between the two of them then i think that would be that would be fair because that's a combination of that's a combination of two great tastes that'll just taste, you know, great together. <laughs> Were you in band, Jessica?
2: I was. I played the clarinet.
1: Okay, so this is good. Like I played Squidward. I, I played trumpet and I played french horn. And mm. I will tell you, it's hard to stay in tune outside. It's hard mm. to t- stay in really? tune outside. Yeah, it's the weather, the temperatures, all of that can affect tuning. So I'm sure they were trying their best, right?
2: Yeah, I'm this I hated night. band. Hated the only it? thing that I, the only thing I liked about playing an instrument was when someone got me Lord of the Rings Howard Shore sheet music once, and I learned how to play, Concerning Hobbits, just like the opening, like 30 seconds. That was the highlight of my band career. From then on, it was all downhill.
1: Well, I'm afraid I have another band. Those are the sounds of move your feet. Used here with a creative license that I'm just going to make up. Please don't. Let's send a editorialize DMTA to on us.
2: the on the making of the song so we can fair use that, it.
1: That's correct. What a we jam! We can talk about how Junior Senior <laughs> carefully crafted Copenhagen's funkiest jam ever. But the lad of the week is going to go to Kevin Magnuson. That's right, K mag wow. baby. With one point on the line for Haas Racing in a scandal-racked week that he had nothing to do with. Because come on, he's just a race car driver from Denmark. He doesn't have anything to do with international arm dealing, as far as I know. K-Mag came out, fought Yuki Sonoda down the stretch the whole way. A thrilling matchup that the rest of the race did not afford us in earnest, okay? We had to go and look at the 10 spot for the most competitive racing. But damn it, we found it. You know who gave that to us? That's right. Really, two lads of the week, okay? Yuki Sonoda and Kevin Magnussen for a duel. Uh, that I don't know if we'll remember it, but I'm going to remember it for like a couple of days. It was well worth it. A point for Haas. Haas gang stand up. And shouts Ooh. out to Alphatari's own Yuki Tsunoda for, you know, just making us so proud as our snack mad boy. That is our dual lad of the week. Hell yeah. Please don't. Well, DMC Spencer,
2: has. yeah, please don't. Um, we will be back after the Australian Grand Prix. Is there anything you want to leave us with? From this race, this point in time in, in Formula One in the season,
1: um, I would like to leave it this: um, if you think life ends at forty, look at Fernando Alonso because that man <laughs> is posting with the enthusiasm Woo-hoo! of a thirteen year old with their first Reddit username. Right? Like that's, <laughs> he's posting memes. He's doing all kinds of nonsense. He's posting like ironic selfies, just like seriously man age age ain't nothing but a number especially if you're a wealthy spanish f1 driver just remember that
2: you know what we need the Fern- fernando Alonsos of the world to keep posting mm-hmm. to get us through what might be a runaway red bull championship this year so let's start so let's stir some shit up on twitter and make it a fun year fernando you go first